Well, guys, it's the new year, 2018. Have you made your uh, New Year's resolutions? Anybody does that? Anybody? One little girl up here, that's good. The rest of us have given, it, given up on that. Good job, honey. Uh, <clears throat> All right, well, I'll tell you, it, it feels good to be back up here with you guys, and today we're going to be starting a brand new series, a five-week series. Um, at least that's what we've got planned so far, five weeks. It may get longer, but for now it's just five weeks. And the overall topic of this series is going to be worship. Okay? Worship is kind of going to be the big picture theme of the series. We're going to be talking about that a lot. We're going to be looking at what worship is, what does it mean, how do we engage in it, you know, and stuff like that. That's kind of going to be the macro view of the series. But then, as we zoom in, we're going to be zeroing in on one specific component of worship. Um, one avenue, if you will, of worship, and we want to be able to truly understand that as well and know how to do it well. And then hopefully, at the end of the series, we'll fade back out and kind of look at the panoramic view again. It's kind of weird, but we're going to be standing back to begin with, zoom in, and then zoom back out. And I'll explain as we, we go along and progress through the weeks. But hopefully, by the end of the series, we're going to have a better handle on the whole idea of this huge topic of worship, as well as the single component we're going to be zeroing in on. Because we would really like for Whitestone um, to be a church that really knows how to worship. Uh, We want worship to be part of our DNA. We want it to be part of our life, part of our culture. We want our lives to be consumed with worship everywhere that we are. And so therefore, we, we need to understand it. So we're kind of making it a New Year's resolution. You guys didn't make it, but we're going to make one for you. Okay, so we're going to do that. So that's what we're starting up today. I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but worship is a word that is used a lot. It gets thrown around a lot like crazy in churches today. We use that word where we say things like, let's worship the Lord together. Um, we have three worship services here at Whitestone. We, we have a worship band that leads us in worship you know, songs. And on and on it goes. Worship is um, kind of part of the Christian lingo we use. We, we use it in Christian circles. And in and, and all reality, many of us don't even fully understand what it is. It's just become part of our lingo that we use but we don't fully grasp its meaning. And so hopefully we can change that by the time we're done with this series. Hopefully we'll have a a better handle on that. But to begin with, I thought I'd ask you guys a question. Um, Let me ask you, if if I were to to question the average Christian, um, when they hear the word worship, what do you think is the first thing that comes to their mind? Like, for instance, if I were to say we're going to have a worship night here at Whitestone in February, what would we be doing at that worship night? Singing. Okay, if I said I was going to give you a worship CD, what would be on that worship CD? Singing, exactly. If I said we have, Whitestone has a worship team, tell, us, tell me what does that worship team lead us in? Yeah, songs, exactly. For the average Christian, the word worship has become all about singing. Okay, Singing, and not just singing anything, it's singing certain specific songs, what we call worship songs. Not just any Christian songs, it has to be 
worship songs. That's why I want to give you a worship CD, because on that worship CD is worship songs. It's a special limited number of songs that fit into that worship category. Now, let me just stop there for a second and tell me, is it possible to worship God through singing songs? Absolutely. It's a great way to worship our King and our Lord. Singing praises is a beautiful form of worship. So why am I bringing this up? Because in my opinion, it seems that that word worship has been narrowed down to just a specific act, if you will. And that's the act of singing. And only singing certain specific songs. Worship has, all, has become all about singing certain specific songs. Do you see the problem there? Yes, worship involves singing praise songs to our Lord, but worship is most certainly not summed up with just singing. Do you see what I'm saying? Think about that. Now, I realize that you know most Christians don't feel this way, but in all reality, that's just the case. It's a little bit like this. Let's say that you and I were going to play football, and I say, that's awesome, let's play football. And every time I got the ball, I'd put it down on the ground, and I'd be like, boom, trying to kick a field goal. And, and you know, that you'd throw the ball to me, I'd put it down, and boom, try to kick another field goal. You'd hand it off to me, I'd put it down, and I'd like, try to kick a field goal. You'd be like, Luke, I appreciate that you want to kick field goals like crazy, but that's not what football is all about. It's part of what football is, but it doesn't sum up the entire game of football. Well, it's the same thing with worship. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, worship has primarily become about singing praise songs to God. And that's what worship is to so many Christians. And I'd be willing to guess that many of us here have fallen into that faulty thinking as well. So we want to change that. So it would behoove us, I love that word, I'll try to use it whenever I can, behoove us to come up with a definition for the word worship that will help us better understand it. Okay? And, and I know you guys are kind of sick of all my definitions because I'm always throwing definitions at you, but I think definitions are important because they help us grasp things better. They help us be able to put meaning to certain words. Amen? All right, just because you said amen, let's kind of review the definitions we've covered so far, you know, in the many years of, of attending here at Whitestone. Um, let's start with belief. Can anybody tell me what is belief? What do we use as a definition for belief? Come on, first service. You guys have been up for four hours, sharp as a whistle. Anybody? All right, let's look at the screen behind me. This will refresh your memory. You'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Belief is to act as if something were true. Okay? If we believe something, we're going to act out as if it's true. Okay, how about this? Does anybody remember what faith is? What is the definition for faith we've used? Very good, Bob. Ushers give him a free trip to Hawaii. That's awesome. Exactly. Faith is believing, once again, acting out as if it were true, in the unseen reality, it is a reality, of God and His kingdom. Okay? And what just, by chance, what's our definition for kingdom, God's kingdom? Very good, Jean. Very well. She's cheating? No, she's not cheating. She can, she can look at her notes. All right, and then lastly, how about grace? We talk about this one all the time. Come on, first service. Say that again. 
Very good. That's awesome. That's exactly what grace is. It's God's power working through us to accomplish what we could never do on our own. That's what grace is. See, that was fun. That was awesome. You guys are, are, are great. And when you run across those words, when you're reading the Bible, you should stop, plug in those definitions, because it will help kind of make that passage come alive a little bit more. Okay, so a definition for worship. We had, we'd put a post up on our Whitestone Facebook, and we asked people to put in their definitions of what they think worship is. And there were some really good ones that were put in there. And so thanks for taking time to do that. But there's a specific definition I'd like to use for this series if I could, and I'm going to show you why in a second. Um, Kirk and I have been sitting down and trying to kind of tweak and reword and massage this and, and, and make it something that we could easily put into our memories and to be able to bring it to mind when we need to. But before we get into that definition, I want to show you how we come up with this definition and why I think we should use it. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Okay? Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start with just verse 1. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want you to just look at that verse for a few seconds, and I want you to read it and reread it, okay? I'll just let you do that for a second. Now, let me ask you, Whitestone, according to this verse, what is your spiritual act of worship? What is worship according to this verse? Okay, it's to present our bodies, yep, as living sacrifices. Exactly. That is the act of worship. Now, this isn't our definition, so you don't have to write it down. I mean, you can write it down if you want to, but this isn't our definition we're going to use for the series. The spiritual act of worship, according to this verse, is to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, what does that even mean? What even is a sacrifice? Okay? Well, Simply put, to sacrifice something means to give something up. Okay? If you sacrifice something, you are giving something up. You, you don't get it back. You're releasing it, in a sense, for a higher purpose. You're offering up, you're sacrificing it. Like we often say, I had to sacrifice a lot of sleep to be able to pass my final exams. Okay? You had to give up sleep for something. And in this case, it was for studying for the final exams. You offered up sleep in place of study. Okay? That's what sacrifice is. Here's, here's another example. I have sacrificed my right to dress myself for Sunday mornings. I, I literally have. I have sacrificed. I've given that right up. It's no longer mine to do as I please. Shauna always wants to be in charge of what I wear on Sunday mornings. So I've sacrificed my right for the sake of my marriage, okay? And I had to learn that early on in my marriage. That sacrifice has been made many, many years ago. I remember we first got married, our first year of marriage. We were like a couple months into it. Um, I woke up Sunday morning, and Shauna wasn't feeling good. She's like, ah, 
I don't want to go to church this morning. She says, Luke, why don't, why don't we just stay home? And I'm like, no, I, I want to go. She's like, Luke, just, just stay with me. And I'm like, no, I, I want to go. And so I got up and I got my clothes on, my dress, whatever. And I'm inside the kitchen and I'm eating a bowl of cereal. And she comes out and she's like, Luke, why are you going to church? I'm like, I, I want to go. I'll just, you know, I'll just go by myself. It's okay. And she's like, well, you're not wearing that. And I'm like, yes, I am. And she says, oh, no, you're not. And I, you know, I kind of got cocky. I'm like, you're going to stop me? You know, I'm eating my bones here. I'm like, I'm going to wear this to church. She's like, Luke, you are not wearing to that to church. And I'm like, Alex, or Shauna, yes, I am. And I meet my sister. She says, oh, no, you're not. And she went, and dumped the cereal all down my shirt. And she goes, no, you're not. And I had like a glass of water there, so I went, whoosh. And I hit her, and it made her hair stand up like that. And all of a sudden, we just started laughing. We realized we were being idiots or whatever. But it didn't take me long to realize I need to sacrifice my right to dress on Sunday mornings. And you know what? I just gave that up, and that's just, you know, it's part of my life. I'm okay with that. I turn in my man card on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but to sacrifice something is to give something up. Tell me, Whitestone, what is the greatest sacrifice ever made? Jesus, exactly. God sacrificed His Son for you and me. He gave His Son, Jesus, to be offered up as a sacrifice, to go to the cross and to die, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sins. That's the greatest sacrifice ever. To sacrifice is to give something up. Let's look back at that, our verse. Now tell me, Whitestone, according to this verse, what are we to be sacrificing? Our bodies, exactly. Our physical bodies. This flesh and blood body that we have. We're to be sacrificing our physical bodies. Okay, That means our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, our stomach, our muscles. Our entire body is to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. Well, what does that even mean? Well, to offer our bodies as living sacrifice means that we're to be giving up our right to do whatever we want in these bodies in order for Him to use our bodies for how He pleases, for His purpose. Does that make sense? We don't get to do what we want to do with our bodies anymore. They belong to Him. Think about that. Well, you know, we're often called the body of Christ. Well, if we're going to be called the body of Christ, then we better have, have, allow God to use his body as he sees fit. Okay? We should allow God to use his body, our bodies, our physical bodies, to accomplish what he wants with them. And that means that we have to release or offer up or sacrifice our entire bodies to him and let him do with it as he pleases. Okay? Look at that verse again. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Now, what does it say to do that? What, what does it say right after that? Holy and what? Pleasing to God. What does holy mean? Another definition. Set apart. Okay? Our bodies are to be holy. They're to be set apart. Tell me, Whitestone, set apart for who? Set apart for God, exactly. Our bodies are to be set apart for God. They're to be used 
to please him, not to please us. We don't use our eyes to look at what we want to look at anymore. So often we walk through life and we feast our eyes on what we want to feast to what makes us feel good. Our eyes are not, not, not meant to be used by that. They're to be set apart for God to be used for what pleases Him. We look where He wants us to look. We see what He wants us to see. We don't listen to what we want anymore. We use our ears to listen to what He wants us to listen to. We don't use our mouth to say what we want anymore. We don't just spout off at our mouth to, you know, to say what we want to make us feel better. No, we use our mouth to say what He wants us to say. And that goes for every part of our body. Do you see my point? Every part of our body is to be offered up as a living sacrifice to Him. Holy and pleasing to God. Remember, it's a living sacrifice. Our bodies are alive, and yet the rights to these bodies are to be given to Him. We're to hand our rights over to God. They're to be given over to Him for him to use our bodies as he sees fit. As I said, we're the body of Christ. Now, those of you who have taken phase one, discipleship, you know that Jesus said a very similar statement, didn't he? He said this in Luke 9. He says, If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what is Jesus saying there? A lot of people think that Jesus is by saying, you know, taking up you know, your cross, it's somehow referencing his crucifixion. I don't believe it is. Jesus is using a very visual analogy. And guys, to bear our cross does not mean that just putting up with something that isn't great in our life. Like so often we'll say, well, being overweight is just the cross that I have to bear. Or living with my wife is just the cross I have to bear. Guys, that's, that's not what that statement is meaning. When Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow Him, He's using a very visual analogy that the people of His day would have known. Do you know that crucifixion back in the Roman Empire? It, throughout the Roman Empire, there were 10,000, an average of 10,000 crucifixions a day. A day. It would have been as normal as seeing I-94 backed up. You would have just like, oh, I-94 is backed up again. Well, up oh, there's another crucifixion going on. That's how it was. Now, someone, whenever you were convicted, you were convicted of a crime that required death, they gave you your cross to walk to the place of your crucifixion, to the place of your execution. Now, when you're carrying your cross and you're walking to the place of your crucifixion, your execution, what are you thinking? You're thinking, life as I know it is over. I don't get to do what I want anymore. I'm going to die. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In other words, you are presenting your body as a living sacrifice. You are offering up your body to be used by Him, not for what I want anymore. Life as I know it, as I want to do it, I don't get to do that anymore. Okay, does that make sense? So let's just stop and debrief for just a bit. What is our spiritual act of worship then, according to this verse? It is to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. That is our act of worship. Okay? 
Don't be confused. That's not the definition of worship. It's the act of worship. Okay? So hang with me. Let's keep moving through this verse here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, tell me, first service, how in the world do we do this? How is this even possible? How can we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him? How do we know what He wants to use our eyes for, or our hands for, or our entire bodies for? How do we even know what He wants for us? How, how, what does that even look like practically? Well, the beautiful thing is, is the very next verse tells us. Let's look at it. Verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not be conformed any longer to this world. You See that statement? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? We're not to look like the world any longer. Of course not. We're to be holy. We're to be set apart from the world and set apart to God. So of course we're not supposed to be conformed to the world any longer. But how in the world is that possible? Because I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things in my life where I still am conformed to the world. The parts of my body are still used for me. I still find myself still eating what I want, doing what I want saying what I want. And I often look just like anybody else in the world. I am what you would say, conform to this world, as this verse says. So how do I overcome that? How do I no longer be conformed to this world and be transformed into something holy and pleasing to God? Look at that verse and you tell me. How? By what? By the renewing of your mind. Exactly. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? By the renewing of our minds. All the junk and lie-filled thinking of the world has so polluted our minds. And we think like the world. And guys, when we think like the world, what will we do? we will act like the world. Exactly. Let me explain that in a simple way to grasp it. A couple days ago, I was driving down the road, and I'm one of those guys, when I'm in the city, I try to stick to the speed limit. Okay? And so I'm cruising on the speed limit, and I, I was going the speed limit. And somebody came up behind me, and they were just riding my tail. I mean, they're right behind me, and I'm, you know, seeing them ride behind me or whatever. And all of a sudden, they just like... You know, they're laying on their horn for this long time. Well, guess what I did? <laughs> slow down. It's like, you know what, you little punk, if you're going to ride my tail like that, I'm going to slow down even more. And so I'm slowing down, and we're cruising along, and we're starting to come up to the roundabout. And it turns into two lanes. And the sucker's like, <laughs> and he like yells at me as he passes by and cruises behind me. Then guess what I did? You know, I fall in and I was thinking all these thoughts and I'm wanting to yell at him and, and I'm cruising. I get about three blocks and I'm still following him and it dawned on me, what am I doing? What am I doing? 
You know, Jesus says to bless those who curse you. And I'm sitting here doing, you know, what every other person in the world would do. Why am I doing that? And guys, that's just one example of being conformed to this world. Doing what I did and thinking what I thought was not an act of worship. It was me being conformed to this world. So what do I need? I need to be transformed by what? The renewing of my mind. Because when my mind is renewed, what's going to happen? Well, look at the verse. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'll be able to know what God's will is in every situation. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Do you see that? You ever wonder, man, am I really doing the will of God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Well, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you'll start to know. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing will. And it all starts with the renewing of your mind. So Whitestone, I want you to think for a second here. And remember, our topic is worship. But having looked at what we've been looking at, tell me, where does worship start? Tell me, where, do, where does worship have, has, have its beginnings? Where does it begin? It begins in our, our mind, our thoughts. Exactly. It all begins in our mind. So here's a couple things to consider. Worship begins with thinking right thoughts about God. Or another way to put it is, worship begins with thinking about the greatness of God. I want you to think about that for a second. Worship begins with thinking right thoughts about God. Now, how can I say that? Because here's why. I don't know if you've thought about this before. But thoughts lead to what? Actions. Thoughts lead to actions. Let me explain that for a second. Thoughts produce actions. Now, how does that work? Well, when you have a thought, that thought produces a desire. And once that desire is conceived, it leads to an action. Here's, here's kind of a funny example of that. On Christmas Eve, uh, I was preaching this sermon about Mary and Joseph leaving Nazareth to go down to Bethlehem. And if you were here, you remember I talked about Mary was probably having her cravings, you know, and she's probably like, Joseph, I want Chinese food and I want it right now. Well, there happened to be a young couple sitting there on one of the services, and she was pregnant. And she heard me say Chinese food. <laughs> the entire service, she thought about Chinese food. They got out of the service, she goes, I'm craving Chinese food. Let's go get Chinese food. The thought led to a desire, which led to the action of going and getting Chinese food. Guys, thoughts lead to actions. And so when we start thinking right thoughts about God and thinking about the greatness of God, it will lead us to right actions that will please God. Do you see the connection there? Worship begins with thinking right thoughts about God and who He is and how great He is and how amazing He is, which then leads to the spiritual acts of worship. Those thoughts lead to actions. 
But worship, first and foremost, starts within the thought life. We must begin thinking right thoughts about God. You know, this passage is a perfect example of it. Check it out. We just looked at verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's the first word of that verse? What are we supposed to do? We need to look back and see what it's there for. Okay? So we need to do that. Let's look back and see what Paul has just written. Well, look at what Paul's just written. He's, in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of our Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. You see what Paul's doing here? He's thinking about the greatness of who God is. He's thinking right thoughts about God. His thoughts are getting caught up in the greatness and the awesomeness of God and all of His glory. I mean, these few verses here, he's just getting all carried away about how awesome God is. And when he thinks about how awesome God is, his natural response is verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he moves into verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed. Renew your mind. Stop thinking like the world. Think about how, God, how great God is. Be transformed by that thinking. And I love the very next verse. Look at what he says there. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, in light of God... You're nothing. Do you see that? It's like you could say, Paul is saying here, listen, stop thinking you're so great. No, that's what the world does, and it doesn't lead to anything good. Don't be conformed to that. Instead, think about the greatness of God. Think about that instead, and when you do, it's going to lead to the offering up of your entire body to Him as a living sacrifice, which really is your spiritual act of worship. And that will be holy and pleasing to Him. Worship begins in our thought life. So, back to our definition of worship. At the beginning, I told you that Kirk and I have been working with this definition to make it something that we can truly hang on to and remember. And Kirk sent me this text this week. He said, you know, Luke, worship really could be defined as realizing that God is God and we are not. And you know what? I think Kirk is exactly right. Worship does. It starts with the thought life. Thinking and realizing that God is God in all of His greatness and that we are not. I mean, that is, that's a proper thought there. Thinking like that is going to lead to worshipful action in our lives. So that's a pretty good definition. But as good as that defini- def- definition is, I want to use something else. And here's what I want us to use for our definition on worship. I'm, I'm going to give it to you, and we're going to kind of end the sermon. We're going to discuss it next week. But I'm going to give you, here's what I want our definition of worship to be. You ready for the unveiling? <laughs> All right, you're going to be underwhelmed. But here's how I see worship simply being. It is the inherent attitude 
of a renewed thought life. That's what worship is. It's the inherent attitude of a renewed thought life. When our thought life is renewed, our attitude is that of worship. Okay? Ponder that. Think about that. And we're going to tear it apart even deeper next week. Okay? We're going we're to put it more into practical terms. All right, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to do something right before we sing our songs. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we were created to worship you. And God, the sad truth is, is that we spend most of our lives worshiping ourselves. We put ourselves on the throne. We do what we want with our bodies for our own pleasure. God, forgive us for that. May we become men and women who truly worship you, who think correct thoughts about you, who see you for who you really are. And may those thoughts transform us. May those thoughts renew our mind. And may we then live out spiritual acts of worship in our everyday life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. To wrap things up here before we sing our songs, I want to allow yourself to just fall into an attitude of worship. Okay? We're going to think right now. and We're going to ponder. We're going to think right thoughts about God. Great thoughts about God. Awesome thoughts about God. And I'm simply just going to read that passage that Paul gave us in chapter 11. And I'm going to read it slowly. And I'm just going to read it phrase by phrase. And I want you to ponder each phrase and just let it marinate your thoughts in your mind. Okay? So let's do that. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen.